Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Everybody awake today? I'm not sure you are today. Okay. A little dreary. All right. All right. Is it the 26 degrees this morning that got you down? Spring is going to peak through eventually, I hope. Well, regardless of spring comes through or not, we're going to start a series of lessons this morning that will run through April, May, and the month of June on the book of Isaiah. So I want to encourage you to get a little bit familiar with that book. It may excite some of you, some of my Old Testament history friends may be excited that we're going to spend 10 to 12 weeks talking about the book of Isaiah. They may intimidate some of you that have read Isaiah before, know that Isaiah can be quite a deep book, quite a difficult book for us to learn and study together. And it may bore some of you. Some of you might be like, oh man, here we go. Old Testament, weird language, stuff I don't understand. I promise you we're going to do the best we can to lay the Word of God before you in a way that you understand that will hopefully light up your life. Isaiah, I've best heard, is the Romans of the Old Testament. It is the most theologically rich. It is the most beautiful, deep, and moving text we have from the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And if you'll receive... The simple, basic message of Isaiah, as it weaves throughout all of the different historical aspects that it's shown in the book, it can alter your life forever. That's how moving and how deep this book is. You may be wondering, um, why Isaiah? Out of all the things that we could preach and teach, there's a lot of books in the New Testament. There's some easier ones in the Old Testament. There's some subjects and topics that you may be more interested in. You may be wondering why should we spend so much time talking about Isaiah. There is a reason for that, and I want to share that with you in the context of in which Isaiah lived. Isaiah was a prophet to God's people at about the 8th century B.C. He lived in Judea in the southern kingdom, and he prophesied most of the time there, although he did have a few things to say to the north. And in the time in which Isaiah was living, it was the best of times, but it was also the worst of times. Coming off of incredible prosperity, Judea and Israel, that area, had incredible prosperity under the reign of David and under the reign of Solomon. Their nation had grew and expanded. They were the world powers. They were dominating. They were huge. And they were wealthy people. But there was some crisis coming, and prosperity was almost over. And the sense of that was amongst all the people. They knew that the good times were trending down, that were coming to an end. And Jerusalem and Judea was facing a pivotal moment. They were living in a threatening world. The Assyrian Empire was growing and rising. In fact, during Isaiah's time, um, the Assyrians would come and take away the northern kingdom and destroy them. And Assyria would be on the northeast side of Jerusalem and Judea, bringing pressure for many, many years. And there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of crisis. And the people were worried about it. But in the midst of their prosperity, God's people grew comfortable and stagnant. 
Faith became something that was routine to the Jewish person. Something they weren't interested in, just something that they had to do. And the relationship with God grew cold and it grew distant. The Jewish people lost sight of God. They lost sight of his will. And they had lost a hunger for his presence among them. Life was easy and comfortable for them as they lived in this prosperous nation. And in that comfort and prosperity, God's people forgot that they needed him, that they were dependent upon him. And they started to do what humans do when we forget about God. They started to trust themselves. When things were good, they were impressed with the work of their hands. When things started to go bad, they turned inward and said, how do I fix this? And gone was the awareness of David when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They had forgotten that in their prosperity. And in comes the prophet Isaiah, a prophet with a vision to awaken God's people back to reality. And its message of reality is as vital then, as vital today as it was for them. You see, past prosperity and comfort of life can make God's people long for yesterday more than they long for God. And when we have had prosperity and comfort all of our lives, it can make us hunger and yearn for continued prosperity and comfort more than we hunger for the presence of God in our life. And you and I, I'm convinced, I know I do, I can only speak for myself as a mirror stands in front of me today, need the voice of the prophet Isaiah to awaken me and awaken us to the reality of our dependence and need for God and to awaken us to the reality of what he's promised to us in the future. To get us started this morning on our sermon series, we're not going to go too far in the book. We're going to stay right in the introduction because the introduction begs us to ask a couple questions to get us set up for the series. The first question is, what? What is Isaiah doing? And he says it's the vision of Isaiah who is the son of Amos. And he see here he says down at the end of verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. It's a vision. Isaiah saw something. He saw a vision. It's called a prophetic vision. Now, this is not some sort of psychedelic trance. This isn't some sort of um, out-of-body, uh, psychedelic experience that Isaiah went through. In fact, you see him down in chapter 2 and verse 1, that Isaiah says he saw the word of God. It was the word of God that he saw. God was communicating something to him. He was telling him something. You see, Isaiah puts before us in this idea of a vision, a new way of seeing life from God's perspective. The Israelites had forgotten what it looked like to see life from the vantage point of God. And when Isaiah says, here is my vision, although he's going to have multiple sermons, multiple events, multiple nations that he's going to talk to in this book, he says it's one singular vision, a vantage point on life from God himself. And you and I need that because without this, we are left to our limitations on how we see life. We're left to things like impressions. What do we think? We're left to things like assumptions and judgments 
That's all we have as finite beings to make sense of what our world is going, what's going on in our world and what we're experiencing is just our limited senses. That's all we have. And unfortunately, those things are flawed. And what Isaiah shows us is that there's something we could have, we can have, a vision that we can have that we would have never stumbled onto on our own. It had to be given to us by God. But with God's vision, God's reality, we are able to see through appearances of life and into God's reality. As finite beings, as I've mentioned, we're unable to do this without God's help. I'm reminded of the words of Paul when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, that it's because of the law I actually know what sin is. In fact, Paul wouldn't know that he struggled with coveting if God had not taught him you shouldn't covet. You see, it was God's vision, God's vantage point of how life was supposed to be lived that awakened Paul to the reality of the sin that he was living. Let me give you maybe a little bit more real-life example for me. I can remember a particular time um, for a few months I was sort of wrestling with and struggling with the idea of not just of being tempted to sin, but why we are drawn to sin, and not just we generically, but me. Like, Like, what makes me want to sin? What makes me tempted or drawn to love things of the world. And I was reading in 1 John one day, I'll never forget, in chapter 2, verse 15, that famous passage where John says, don't love the world. And as I'm sensitive to loving the world, I'm feeling pricked in that moment. Like, all right, John, here we go. I'm about to take it on the chin again because I know I'm wrestling with this. And John says in 1 John 2, 15, don't love the world, the things of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then he makes this statement. Here's God's vantage point. For those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And for 15 years, I read that Bible verse, and what I said was, for those who love the world, they don't love God enough. What's their problem? And I would come back to this over and over. Why do I love the world? Love God more. Why do I love the world? I love neither. And I missed this one subtle point. He said, When you love the world, you don't have enough of God's love for you in you. And so you're empty and you're left chasing things outside of God because you don't know yet how much you're loved. Light bulb moment. Do you see how God's vantage point can speak reality to us in ways that we cannot do for ourselves? And this is what Isaiah's invitation is to us. In chapter 2 and verse 5, Isaiah invites us. He says, come, walk in the light of the Lord. Now, this invitation to walk in God's light, to see God's vision, to see what reality really is, is going to be challenging and hard for you and hard for me because he's going to give us a reality about who we are. He's going to give us a new self-awareness. He's going to give us a reality about how this problem we have is actually going to be fixed. But he's going to give us a reality of the promise of the world that he's bringing. You notice what he says in verse 2, how big this vision is. He says, hear, O heavens, and give ear to the earth. It's that big. And the Bible, and Isaiah starts out with calling heaven and earth to hear this vision. And it finishes in chapter 66 with this. Heaven and earth and God's people renewed. That's where it's going to finish. And so this vision, you and I are being invited into to walk in the light of the Lord, to see what God sees, to know what God knows, so that our life is lived in reality with God will be hard, but it'll be worth it. The second question that the text asks is this, who, who is involved in this? And there's two answers. 
The first one is this. Who is this vision from? And it's from God's prophet. His name is Isaiah. And for what we can tell, most likely Isaiah descended from some level of royalty. Isaiah could get an audience with the most royal people in Israel in that day and in Jerusalem. Um, he comes from a line of people that were royal. He probably had a wife and children. And so Isaiah was a pretty important person at that time. But his name tells us something, Isaiah. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. And so people could see from a mile away when Isaiah was coming, who was God's prophet, we know what he's going to say. The Lord saves, the Lord saves. And you know what? Um, this message that God saves sinners, just like in his day, in our day, pardon me, was not very popular. For some reason, humans bristle at the idea of this message that God has to save you, that you need help, that you can't save yourself. There's something about that with humans that we sort of bristle at, and that was just like in his day, and it's like it in our day. We want control. We want a safe face. We want to act like we don't need help. And we are so apt at times to treat God as if he's a minor part of our life. One of the great dangers of living life is to treat God as if he's secondary, as if he's minor, as if he's just a portion that we have to pay homage to, not a reality that we have to live in light of, that every breath of your existence happens because he says, go ahead and breathe. But sometimes that's so heavy for us to live in that reality that we just switch channels, so to speak, and get distracted with the next thing. And let God be secondary as if he's just some arbiter of religion that we have to pay some attention to every now and then so we can show him some respect but keep moving on with our life. And Isaiah's message is something different. He is in the face telling us God saves sinners. And there's two things you got to know about that. Number one, you and I are sinners. Don't minimize that. Don't marginalize that reality. And one thing I would tell you about this message that God saves sinners is don't sleep on its simplicity. That is one of the most simple statements that you can hear from this pulpit, that God saves sinners. But inside of that simple statement are really heavy and really important things that you're going to have to come to terms with in your life if you really want to have the life God wants you to have. The first one is this, you are a sinner. And you can't minimalize that. You see, Isaiah's going to tell us some things about us that we're not going to like. He's going to tell us that we're rebellious people. Not just that we make minor missteps, but that we're rebellious. Like that old hymn we sing that we oftentimes forget. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That psalm, that hymn is saying, that my feet are prone, are natural to walk away from God, not towards God. We're rebellious people. We go our own way like sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah is going to tell us that we're hypocritical, that we don't actually even live up to the very standards that we hold other people to. Just, to, just reflect for a moment the amount of criticism that you have in your mind about the way other people do things in life. We don't even live up to our own standards sometimes. We're hypocritical. And we're going to see Isaiah come next week heavy with how God's people show up to worship. You're going to see next week that the most offensive thing you'll ever see to God. Just imagine what offends God the most. And I oftentimes think of the innocent or the marginalized being hurt. And the most certainly God is 
incensed by that. But when God's people show up with ungrateful and unrepentant hearts to worship him, he is enraged. Isaiah is going to tell us that we're ungrateful, that we think that we've created all this for ourselves, that we've done it, that we're impressed with ourselves and not with God. He's going to tell us that that's offensive to our maker and sustainer, that it doesn't just show up as a blip on his radar, but he looks at the very children that he's made and raised and supplied for, and as they spit in his face, he can't believe it. He says, the ox knows his master, but you don't even know me. That's the reality. And the second thing he's going to tell us from God's prophet is that God wants to save. God's salvation is not his arm being twisted. It's not his mind being manipulated. It's not his emotions being turned. God's saving is of his will, which means he wants to save you. And I would encourage you not to minimize that truth either. Either by saying dismissively, like, ah, God doesn't need to save me. I've got it figured out. Don't minimize it that way. But also don't minimize it by saying, there's no way that God would want to save me. You see, this truth that God saves sinners tells us some really important things from God's prophet. But the second answer to who is this for is secondly, God's people. This is for God's people. If you look down in verse 1, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This vision of reality about who we are and what God must do and what God is going to do, this vision of God's reality. Yes, there are going to be other nations involved, countries that are outside of God's covenant that are going to be named and discussed and talked about, but this vision is for God's people. The primary focus is God's people and their need for a revival to God's reality. The message is for a particular people, not a particular nation. So our best application of the book of Isaiah is not for the nation that we live in. It's for the people of God. Isaiah is not for America. It is for the church. Do you get that? Isaiah is for the church to be revived to God's reality. And when God's people are revived to his reality and to see things from his perspective, they have impact on the world. Jesus told us it this way, I want you to be salt and light in the world. I want you to be like a city on a hill. I want you to be like a preserving agent. I want you to bring forth truth from me to the rest of the world. See, when this vision comes to God's people, what he's trying to do is say, God's people, you need to wake up. Stop sleeping. Stop slumbering to what's ultimately true about your existence. And when God's people wake up to this, they become distinct in the world. But when we start to sort of melt away God's reality and live this comfortable, relaxed, unexpecting existence, we melt into the culture and become just like them. And yet our message becomes lost. Third question is this. So we see what? We have a vision, reality, a new way to see life from God's perspective. Who? It's God's prophet screaming a message that God saves for God's people to wake up to his reality. How's he going to do this? That's usually the main question we as humans have. How's he going to do this? How will God save sinners? How will he wake us up to reality? And there's one main figure, one main person 
that's woven through the book of Isaiah in a prophetic way that's beautiful, that's interesting. It's the one who will save God's people. He's called the Messiah, which just means anointed. So in a, in a sort of a literal way, all of the kings from the lineage of David were known as a kind of Messiah, which means anointed of God to be God's leader of his people. But there's this different Messiah, a distinct Messiah. And it's a strange way that he is revealed in the book of Isaiah. It's hard to figure out. You see, there's this figure that's going to save God's people, that's going to do something unheard of for God's people. And we see in the first part of the book, the verses, chapters 1 through 39, that this guy, this Messiah is revealed. He begins as royalty. In chapter 9, he's called God himself, chapter 9, verse 6, that this figure, this Messiah is God himself. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says that he's going to come from the lineage of David. He's going to shoot up out of the root of Jesse meaning coming from the line of David as king. We're going to see in chapter 11, verses 2 through 9, that this Messiah king is going to rule with perfect justice and fullness of the Spirit of God. He's set out as this majestic, powerful, royal being. But in chapter 40, something changes. That figure's lost in the story. He begins his royalty, but then all of a sudden he becomes a servant, a suffering servant. In chapter 42, we see that this Messiah is humble and gentle. In chapter 49, we see that this Messiah is going to have incredible discouragement in his life, and he will have great opposition. In chapter 50, and then in chapter 53, this Messiah, yes, this king, this ruler, who's perfect, we see is going to be cruelly persecuted. And he's going to be killed. But at the end of chapter 53, just before Isaiah rolls us into the vision of the world that God is creating, we see that this Messiah at the end of chapter 53 is raised and glorified. And all of God's purposes prosper in his hand and under his leadership. You see, what we're going to finally see is that these two figures, this royal, grandiose king, and this humble, suffering servant are not two figures. They're one figure. They're the same one. This figure will bring justice to all nations. There will be distant lands, nations outside of the people of God, who will wait for his law to finally rule because his law is good and right and perfect. Through him, all of the blessings that God has promised to David will be realized and released upon all people who will come to him. Injustices will be made right. Disease will be healed. Suffering will end. In him, everything, as he said, will be made new. At the heart of Isaiah is a Messiah who will willingly and gladly suffer at the hands of sinful people so that he could reign as the royal, righteous, perfect king to the people that he's going to save. That's the message of Isaiah. And if you'll get ready, if you'll buckle up, if you'll strap in and start spending time in Isaiah, and you'll be ready to be honest, not just with God, but with yourself, you're going to see some realities about you that you may not like. But you'll see some realities about God that you're going to fall in love with. And I promise you this, you're going to see some realities about a world that God is making that you won't want to miss. That's what Isaiah is about. And if you're ready to start a journey with God through Jesus Christ, we can help you today 
as we stand and sing, won't you come?